right, Peter. Hey. It's been a while. It's been a while, man. It's been way too long. We are back. <laughs> We're back to save the world. Yes. <laughs> I mean, honestly, what what happened without us? Honest, what I, happened? I, Look I, at all I the things that have happened. Because we have got a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's me. A, yeah. Oh, there's no such so, thing as, co- yeah, correlation does, uh, it does equal causation. So, yeah, in my <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, so good to see you. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, good to see you. Yeah, thanks uh, yeah, for all of our listeners. I know it's it been at least a year. I think it's been a year. I think it, or maybe it's been eight months. I can't remember. Um, but we made like 31 episodes and uh, we decided to uh, talk about a book and we're going to hopefully start doing this again. And, um, Anyway, yeah. You have the hard copy of the book? Yeah, I do. So uh, there's the boy crisis. Uh, It's pretty big. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, by Warren Farrell and John Gray. Uh, John Gray is a psychologist and Farrell is, uh, I think he's also a psychologist as well. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, so I'm. Yeah, but basically John Gray's portion is just the ADHD chapter. Oh, the very end. Okay. So we'll get to that, but it'll be a while. I you know, we can just give a little bit of an overview of our plan. Um, yeah. And if this is your first time watching a sound engagement uh, episode, you can find all of our previous episodes on YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. Most of them are on there. We do have some audio and we've, we've transitioned, uh, we've shifted from, should be careful about using the word transition, but we shifted from uh, the pod, like the platform we were using to mm-hmm. Substack and, since it's free, we'll be able to upload the audio there as well yeah. as keep our um, YouTube channel open. But anyways, the the plan is to do some book reviews. We did a, a lengthy set of book reviews or about like six parts on mm. cynical theories. Yes. I thought um, as far as helpful content, that's probably those those videos are probably good, especially if you're questioning CRT or, or, you know, what the impact that CRT is having critical race theory uh, Mm -hmm. is having in our nation Mm -hmm. and even within, you know, institutions, within churches, within businesses, within politics. Um, But we're going to move away from that and begin to focus on this book, The Boy Crisis, and see where that takes us. I mean, we've got some other ideas we'd like to maybe do. Carl Truman's book, The The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. but there's some other, that would be a, a different genre, you know, than this. But if we stick within this realm, talking about raising boys, uh, being a man, what is, you know, what does that look like? I think um, just there's a common consensus that, that and, and this book confirms that basically we have as a nation put so much emphasis on, you know, um, giving women equal rights that that men and boys have been kind of forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, of course. We, sure. We're not here to say like uh, we're 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 victims and and we need to, you know, re re uh, regain our our privilege and our power. The point here is just to say like our our boys need some models, need some examples, and uh, the men uh, need to you know have have purpose. And so the, the value here, I think, in going through this is going to be not just, I mean, I'm just thinking personally here. I have a 12 year old boy, almost 13. 
ready mm-hmm. to enter into a, a very tumultuous age. And uh, I'd like to know how to be a better father, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm also a pastor mm-hmm. and I want to be able yeah. to shepherd uh, fathers in our church well and encourage them. So <clears throat> why would this book interest you, Peter? I mean, I, mm-hmm. what, obviously as a, you, you interact with um, clients probably where this is going to be a factor, but what, what's your interest in the book? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I really love reading it this far. I mean, I think one of my biggest interests is, is, uh, I mean, I teach at, you know, Endicott, I see a lot of, I, uh, men are not entering uh, college like they used to. And the book really actually talks about it. I mean, we wanted to address, is there a boy crisis? And we're going to try to make the argument today that there is one. Um, I know that sounds anecdotal. It even sounds somewhat insulting when you're this in our natural world, uh, at least the world that we're kind of living in today. There's the the common anecdote is there's an oppressed versus an oppressor mentality. Cis white males have had power for hundreds of years, maybe even thousands of years. And now it's the minority's turn and uh, females turn and it's about time and y'all need to kind of take a back seat. And um, that's basically the whole construct. Any, any any type of like, hey, is there a boy crisis going on? Is hey, maybe we should address what it's like to be a man. There's usually a pushback because it's like almost insulting. Why are we talking about that now? We've already been talking about that. It's almost, yeah. it's almost. I guess it's kind of an equivalent of a guy at a Bible study talking for two hours and then somebody talking for 10 minutes. And then he says, oh, I, I wasn't able to speak. <laughs> um, I want to be able to get my point. I mean, that's kind of, it's almost like, that's kind of the way it's, it's come across, I think in our world. And I, there's a part that I get that I totally yeah. understand that. Um, but we're not really, yeah, I don't think we're going to sit there and argue against that per se. I think we're, we just want to acknowledge as this book does that psychologically there is a boy crisis going on. Um, because I think there's an identity crisis, yeah. not just with boys, but also with girls. Um, even the very definition of boys and girls are changing and the Cambridge definition just redefined their definition of what female is. Um, so we're redefining these terms as well. Um, but, yeah. you know, uh, men are, are, I would say, when we say crisis, uh, as the book kind of talks about, they really don't have a sense of purpose. Uh, they're lost, you know, and which is leading to more crime, leading to more suicide, leading to more um you know, as we'll talk about today, like uh, just men just wanting to just get super, super big and stocked at the at the gym and have sex with lots of girls or, you know, it's 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 there's there's a very lost, um, you know, uh, chaotic element to where boys are going today. So we want to address that is what it what, what it means to be a man. I have an eight year old son myself. I I actually have a hard time even defining um, what is a real man? Um, I think it's going to be a challenge to me in a good way. I did a podcast with Carmen Schober about a year ago, and that was really cool. But it also forced me to do more research on how do I answer that question without being too general. So right. I'm hoping we both can learn and uh, apply some of the stuff that we're learning here and then bring our own counseling slash pastoral uh, wisdom to the table, you know, or yeah. you know. Well, I think both of us probably acknowledge that this book came to it came to my attention at least. I think it was yours too, but through Jordan Peterson recommending it, and he's done an interview with the author um, that you can you can look up and find, and I'm sure it will be helpful. But of course, you know, we're uh, the difference here is that I we want to be a little bit um, 
critical as well to, to acknowledge where we disagree. And, and then, mm -hmm. of course, take the, the information from the book and apply it to our lives. I think that's where uh, a lot of times kind of book reviews and um, are just that. They're just factual information. But I think where, where a podcast is helpful is you begin to think about, okay, what does this mean for me? And what might this mean for any future readers of the book? Like how, how will this book benefit you in your daily life? And, and how does it affect the way you perceive and, and view the world? So some of that work is, is hard to do if you, you know, if you don't have someone else to kind of talk it through with. So I like, I like reading, but if, if the book just goes back on a shelf or, you know, if I pass it on it, I rarely um, benefit from it as much as if I actually have a conversation about it. So taking important books, having a conversation with you about it is going to, I think, uh, draw um, a lot more application from it. So yeah, the, the first thing mm -hmm. I wanted to, to say, too, is just the um, I think the book has a lot of good, uh, good research, good graphs, just getting through the first section of the book, I'm, I'm excited to share some of the things that are in there, but there's obviously going to be some things that we disagree with. And, you know, he, he does, he does present himself as basically getting into this through feminism, right? He, he talks about how he was a feminist. I think he was hired by Obama's administration, if I can, mm -hmm. if I can remember yeah. from the intro where he says like, how did this issue come to my attention? And but at that point, he was advocating for equal rights for women and, you know, and for girls. And basically, I think he's you know proud of that work and, and yeah. say that they did they did a lot of good things for the nation. But one of the consequences has been that the kind of the pendulum has swung all the way to the other side so that boys have been overlooked and the and there are real consequences uh, hmm. that, that are worth addressing. So he is coming from an egalitarian perspective where he's saying, look, if we want truly equal rights, then they need to we need to also recognize where the boys have been forgotten. Um, and I can appreciate that. It's sort of yeah. a kind of a classic liberal position. I am coming from a different perspective. I'm coming from a complementarian perspective. So I do see mm -hmm. there's we're equal in value, but we have differences in our roles and the purposes for which men and women were created, obviously, ultimately to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But in the way we do that in our daily life, it's going to look different. And that's OK. And that doesn't mean that, you know, I mean, so in my opinion, a woman would not ever be called to to be the head of her home. Now, when she's single, there's obviously like you've got to deal with that. But but the ideal, if you're a married person, the husband should be the head we don't have to necessarily get there, but I'm just kind of giving you an idea of where from a complementarian perspective, there's going to be clear roles within the home where I might push back on this author and say some things a little differently, but overall the information I think is going to be helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the things that he's pointing out, sorry, I'm uh, one of the things he'll point out is, is like where men, for instance, like our purpose have, we've, we need a, we need a new purpose. Well, but, um, if our purpose used to be kind of protect and provide, that might shift into a new uh, era where where men can learn to be the nurturer. And I would say that's kind of fighting against some some creating the image of God, like some some of the ways in which men and women have actually been created with our natural differences. Yeah. Right? So 
some of that is I, I'm not going to be as keen on, as, um, but the idea of becoming more compassionate, mm. uh, able to articulate emotions to my kids and them to articulate them to me and for me to draw those out, like that might be something that the stoic man has never really thought was necessary or important. And I think where this book's going to help me is to challenge that, right? Yeah, uh, right, talk- right. Yeah, no, I, I, I like what everything, everything you had to say. I mean, I, well, I mean, and just to get right in, I mean, he, he sure. starts, yeah. I mean, is there really a boy crisis? And, you know, I, the way he proves it is um, he does a survey and starts out with basically a survey is that most people, if they are to ask, if you were to ask um, uh, people who want to get pregnant uh, or women who want to get pregnant, you know, which, which would you prefer couples as well? And almost two thirds of them say, I'd much rather prefer a girl over a boy. Yes. And and then they ask why. And they said, it's just going to be a lot easier for her, which is so interesting because 20 years ago or even 30 years ago, we would have said t- something totally different. And being a father of two little girls, I can concur. I think it's going to be easier for my two little girls than it will be for Eli. I just do. I think he's going to have different struggles. I'm not saying that they're not there that, you know, and people may strongly disagree with me on that. And, but I think what we're going to cover in here is that women, I think definitely do have a much stronger support network. Um, a good example of that is like miscarriages. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't like when, uh, you know, when there's a, often when there's a miscarriage, uh, there is a huge support network with, with her. Usually the man is just left alone. In fact, very few people even ask him how he's doing. Uh, they're just kind of told to kind of bear through it. Um, but if they get upset, they get mad, they're called toxic, you know, but if they, um, and so they hold all that in, but if they share too much, they're actually not very attractive to the opposite sex. So I think the biggest crisis for, I think men are facing today, I think one of the biggest crises is we don't, they just don't know where to go. They have all yeah. these weird emotions, all these, not weird, but just like these, these emotions, they don't really know how to uh, land them very well. And so because of the way our testosterone uh, <laughs> affects our behavior and all these other things, you know, it's uh, genetically, you know, it's, it's, it, it can feel discombobulating somewhat on what do we do with, with, with uh, the, the complexity of our own human, co- um, you know, intimacy and conduct. Yeah. Yeah, so, for sure. I mean, so he just starts out with that. I mean, he starts with basically that, um, almost every man, he says, if you were born today, which would you rather be a boy or a girl? And he says, every man answered a girl, wow. as did two or three women. <laughs> so, um, wow. And uh, then, yeah, the, the idea is, I mean, he, he talks about the fact that men or boys really grow mm. up learning early on to be ashamed of their gender, right? Yeah. To be ashamed that they're male and like the very opening quote that is given there is I, I'm sorry, I'm a man. Um, and it's, it's like, yeah. that's sort of where we are that if you're, if you're a man, you immediately have to start from a defensive apologetic posture. Mm. And I've been, I've been reading this other book. I just finished it called no apologies by Anthony Esselin. He's a, a Catholic, um, kind of social commentator, but really, um, helpful there because I think it pushes back on that. It's like, man, society needs strong men and yeah, we, yeah. We, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. We shouldn't apologize for the way we're made um, mm. and the advantages that that gives us. That doesn't mean we, we don't have the ability to 
empathize, right? Um, to to recognize and and to show sympathy, of course, to our children and to those in in pain, our neighbors who are hurting. But it's just it seems like we've gotten to a point where any sign of strength is considered toxic, and yeah. you can't you can't you're trying to. Um, Mansplain, you know, <laughs> or if you do try to, yeah, yeah you're trying to yeah. just have Instead power over, yeah, over right, others right. and, um, and it's not going to end well. Yeah. So I, I, mm. I fully agree with you. Yeah. Um, well, and he also other, says here, dads to be are almost twice as likely to prefer a daughter to a son, uh, young men between 25 and 31 are 66% more likely than their female counterparts to be living with their parents. Um, and, uh, you know, those are, those are kind of his two main points that he's going to um, kind of build from there is that there's, it seems like uh, young men are going back home, which makes them highly unattractive to the opposite sex, even towards failure to launch. Yeah. Failure to launch or yeah. Failure to thrive, even uh, learned helplessness, you name it. And I'm, I'm seeing that more and more clinically, you know, and, um, and I mean, if you take that with dads to be are more, they would rather have a girl by the, when the son, so basically when the son exits the womb, he is two thirds of a chance that his father really didn't want this guy. He wanted a girl. <laughs> so he's already starting out in a kind of the wrong place right there. So, um, and uh, then he's going back to the very parents that in the very beginning may not have really even wanted his, this particular gender. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, we should, yeah. But go ahead. There were a couple of things that I before I jump into the next section too is uh, he's he talks about um, yes the 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 challenges of failure to launch you know boys who just stay basically in their in their parents' home and and then they become crippled really to find a partner mm. because they for one are having a hard time finding a job that will be adequate for them to go and buy a home. Um, and so single men are buying homes in, in urban areas at like, uh, I think, or single women are buying homes two and a half times um, more than single men. Uh, that's just in urban environments. But it, I thought that was a fascinating statistic because mm. it just shows how crippling it would be if you're, if you're stuck at, if you're staying at home, you're, you're, you're unable to, to find um, work that will allow you to find a job that, I mean, work that will allow you to have the income you need to get a home and then to find a spouse in that situation is, is almost, um, mm-hmm. impossible, right? Yeah. No right. one wants to date someone who can't afford to pay that first bill. And right. <laughs> like yeah. you're, you're asking about splitting the check or something like that. And he gives statistics for that. Like 87% of men still feel the obligation to, to, uh, uh, pay for the full uh, bill on a first date and women, it's something like 78%. So it's clearly like just the overall overwhelming yeah. obligation. And I don't have any problem with that. Actually, I, I kind of agree, but you see the tension there of yeah. someone who's making less, <clears throat> who's stuck at home, who doesn't have a, you know, like. Having and a, is, and, uh, yeah. And there's been an inverse too. And you could maybe even show the graph. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but like most men know, are not, not entering college, you know, and, um, 66% of women are now entering college and only 37% of uh, men are entering college, which is a complete inverse of 1960. Yes. I will opposite. show that. Yeah. But, um, that. So, so the last thing I wanted to say with that in, yeah. in that intro section was just the, the idea. I, I really like the concept of the Iroquois 
where a man should be thinking seven generations ahead. That, yes. that yeah. was kind of a powerful image, just to an illustration to think through, be, you know, to, to mm. go, okay, what am I doing to impact seven generations down the line? Mm. Uh, what am I leaving with my, my kids with um, physically? How am I training them up emotionally? How am I preparing them for life so that they can pass on these values and traditions to their kids so that, you know, they're strong enough. Like that's, they're going to have to be pretty strong <laughs> traditions and foundations to, to last that long. And mm-hmm. uh, I thought yeah. that was a, that was a helpful way of thinking about it. Um, yeah. So many of uh, like American mindset is just sort of Western mindset is just we're individuals and we think about ourselves and really nothing beyond ourselves, not even yeah. our own kids. So, right. Right. So maybe, yeah, that's a, let me, that's, let me pull, that's go ahead. I'm, so, yeah, no. And well, no, let's go ahead. And, so, so he breaks it down. Um, yeah. Y'all can read more on his personal journey and how he, you know, saw that. And one last thing that he made in the introduction is, um, or at one point is uh, telling your kids, anticipating quote, the end of men is not exactly an inspiration for your young son's life journey. So all of those main points that he, he has that, uh, dads to be are almost twice as likely to prefer a daughter. Um, young men between 25 and 31 are 66 uh, more likely than their female to live with their parents. And the whole message that they're basically receiving is um, you're toxic and that we need to end you. Uh, maybe not directly, but indirectly in so many ways. And that when you display masculine traits, it's often seen in a purely negative light. Um, yeah. And so they're, they don't know where to go. <laughs> so, and I don't, uh, that's kind of where we are. Uh, the other thing I would like to tell our readers too is um, our listeners, uh, a, a really good book, you know, is to, if you want to follow up on that is uh, Raising Cain by Michael Thompson. And he talks a lot about that. And you can actually watch the YouTube um, movie called Raising Cain, uh, not by, not with John Lithgow, uh, which is a horror film in the 1980s, but <laughs> this is a, uh, it's uh, basically young boys and just how lost they are uh, educationally. Uh, and so even in school, you know, we, we school is primarily driven to benefit girls more so than boys, even with a diagnosis of like ADD, more little boys are being diagnosed with that significantly much more than girls, primarily because their bottoms are thinner uh, and they look more squirmy and, and we've gotten rid of recess, uh, which have drastically wow. affected uh, little boys behavior. Uh, such a huge, um, huge effect, especially on young kindergartners up up until fifth grade. We've either gotten rid of recess or we've brought it down to only maybe 10 minutes a day. Um, and even with recess, there's a coddling that goes on. Uh, there's really no risk taking that's going on in recess anymore. Um, even when you go to the, when you go to the park, boys really do learn through improvisation. They learn through that whole kinesthetic hands-on experience significantly more so than girls. Um, girls learn a lot more mentally, which is why they mature quicker, uh, usually emotionally than boys do. Boys have to feel it, touch it, they have to use their bodies. And so when you kill recess, you're actually, uh, preventing them from learning, um, in a capable to their fullest potential and educate in the, um, in, uh, in elementary school. So it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a huge crisis. Like we're in a real crisis. Uh, and I would even say like Christian men, you know, Christ, uh, Christian men, you know, we, we're, we're seeing that today with just all the, 
false doctrines that are coming out. The the passivity of the American church is is both baffling and 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 heart heart wrenching, honestly, and something that we really you know need to address. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I mean, so going on, I mean, he has six. I don't know if you wanted to add anything to well, that. Let me, but I mean, yeah, let yeah, me, please. Yeah. Just two two things um, uh, that I. I think are going to come back around multiple times in the, yeah. um, as we work our way through the book, because one of them, I, I thought it would be good to just share it here. Oh, from nice. the beginning. Yeah. One of them is this. Um, I have found that the most important single tool you can give your son is a once or twice weekly family dinner. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I kind of, I, uh, put that on Twitter and was commenting that, you know, once or twice weekly, it's probably not enough. Um, but, and, and then adding family worship would make it all the more uh, meaningful and impactful. But as I looked at the book and actually read the appendix, there are, he, he isn't suggesting it's just having a meal, but it's actually very intentional conversation at the table that might, that he says, set aside 90 minutes to do. Hmm. Uh, so we'll get into that later, but I thought, I do, I do like the fact that this, that this is sort of mm. becoming. Um, I think there was even a New York Times article about how the family, the loss of the family dinner, has had mm-hmm. a devastating impact upon, mm. um, you know, upon our culture. And yeah, I, man, right. Let's yeah, it's it's just yeah, and well, yeah, and well, I know I have so much to say about that. Did you want to go? <laughs> Did you want to talk about um, just go through? I like the if you want to display because he has like he has um, just keep it up there six different yeah maybe we could try to get rid of the tabs on the table yeah I had it up there just so you could see where I am in the book but like this one particular if we if if he cannot articulate what scares him and Mm. this is the the boy right your son he cannot articulate what scares him Mm. he may withdraw into video games and video porn and develop a virtual life to mask his depression. That was the other point I wanted to, to Mm. make just to say, and I'll I'll try to get rid of the tabs here now, but um, being able to articulate what scares him. I thought there's, there's as far as that being the primary influence of whether a boy uh, becomes addicted to, to porn and video games, that, that, there's obviously a lot of factors there, but I, but the ability to articulate what scares him is deep <laughs> to think about. I know I, I couldn't do that as a boy. I didn't tell people that. And even as a man, I have a hard time telling people that, right? Right. To, to right. acknowledge what it is that you're afraid of, like deep down, that seems to get at root issues when you can mm. say, I, what is the the surface sin issue that you're dealing with? Um, there's mm-hmm. some level of fear that is probably at the root of that, like a fear that you're holding on to or that you're not. And like, does that make mm-hmm. does that make sense? The I mm-hmm. think a fear is such a it's 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 complicated because in Christianity, yeah. right? There's a good fear, fear yeah. of the Lord that leads you know that's that's the beginning of wisdom, but then there's also a fear that causes us to flee and isolate from the Lord and hide. Yeah, it's right. Adam and Eve hiding right. in the garden. And he says, where are you? And God says, where are you? Not like yeah. know where they were, but he wanted them to be able to articulate what they, what was causing them to hide. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
That's powerful. Um, it is very powerful. I don't know if you could scroll down a little bit so we can see the quote a little bit more. Yeah, I got to um, just go to the next page. Oh, okay. If you cannot matriculate what scares him, he may withdraw into video games and porn and develop a virtual life to mass suppression. Well, see, I mean, that's something that we're I'm seeing clinically a lot more. I mean, in the sense of um, their erectile dysfunction is a lot more common with people who are under the age of 30. I think it's risen. I don't know what the per- exact percentage is, but it's, it, it, it's huge. Um, and so... Uh, and so like, I'm starting, you know, I'm, I'm learning of cases or hearing about cases where guys are already having ED by the time they're 21, 22, because it's a real problem Mm. because what porn addiction does is that it affects your, uh, desire for intimacy. So when he's actually touching or holding somebody that he's loving, uh, he can't get an erection. Um, he can't actually be intimate with his loved one or his wife, you know, and, it's a, you know, you really shouldn't even be having that diagnosis until you're in your late fifties. Um, and so it's, you know, so, um, he's becoming sexless in a lot of ways, uh, right. Um, which isn't good. And, and, you know, there is something and what the, what the video and the porn and the electronics do for boys is that it compensates. It does a very, very bad job and it does a very good job. Um, and because it does, well, it does, it does a very good job at distracting him. It does a bad job right. at not feeding uh, the primary, um, you know, need inside that he has to find some sense, sense of purpose. So he has a, you know, he's very lost. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I would, I would hundred percent agree with that. So, so men are much more likely to develop that and boys get so distracted uh in that world so they build their own little virtual reality and there's a lot of boys that are into just just, they're completely addicted to both pornography and sex addictions and you name it and yet they have nowhere to go um they just they just continue to spiral in those places um and and i think it's 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 sad because a lot of that actually does have to do with feminism in a lot of ways i mean feminism um you know, and, and unhealthy masculinity. I mean, I would say both. I'm not going to just pick on feminism. I definitely think there's been some real unhealthy masculinity, yeah. uh, masculine doctrines that have, that have really, really done some damage in the church. We, we don't have to talk about that now, but, um, you know, I think men are very, they're lost on how to, how to, how to love, how to romance, um, how to be tender and strong at the same time. They don't right. really know that balance. Um, and so, when they're trying to engage with their partners, the, you know, their, 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 their wives are not always the most turned on because they don't know how to, they don't know how to play that balance very well. Um, they are either way too aggressive sexually um, or they just, just a doormat. They don't even pursue at all. And so it's a real problem. Um, it's, it's uh, we're seeing it a lot more. And so um yeah. So what do you, I just want to ask you um, to follow up on that. Cause I think that's, that's right. But what do you, there's a little bit of a responsibility for men, right. As fathers mm. to deal with the, their own uh, inability to be emotionally in tune and then to, to, mm. and then to use that to train up and coach their, their son or to, to parent their son to also be able to articulate what scares them as, as, uh, Warren, um, mm. what is it? Warren Farrell is, is suggesting. So I, right. I mean, is, is that, is that true or is it, is it a matter of, is it just simply a matter of like teaching them a few 
tricks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, this isn't just something that's going to change overnight, right? This is something right. that you're going to have to work on for years uh, mm. yourself. And then to be able to be in a place where you can actually parent uh, your your son to to deal with it. Not that you would ignore their their frustrations and pains, but like those addictions aren't just going to go away mm. uh, without serious like shifts in their entire their pattern of life, <laughs> not just their world. Yeah. Way I mean, their- sex addiction, if I could just, yeah, just cause that's probably where I have the most specialty. And I mean, I don't, ha- I, not so much substance abuse is it, you, okay. you, you center in a lot more with intimacy. So it's like getting them used to intimacy and like true intimacy. A lot of guys that are addicted to that stuff. I mean, they, they really don't know what real intimacy looks like. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that, you know, um, uh, you know, they, they, it could be, it could be like a dad that just is, you know, shut up and just do your work, um, you know, just bear through it. And there's a time and place where he has to build some resilience and whatnot. Um, but it could also be what I'm seeing more. It's the the Oedipal mother, you know, the over overprotective mother that does everything for the child. I would say I, that's a lot more common in today's mindset than it was like, you know, the guy that's saying, go, go get tough. I think that was true. Maybe in the 80s and the 70s. Sure. Um, I don't see that at all anymore clinically. Um, I, I understand I'm in a very liberal state. It might not be true in Mississippi where we did grad school, but it, I probably see the very incompetent male who doesn't know what to do with his feelings more so from the Oedipal mother or the Oedipal mother, however you want to pronounce that, uh, because she does all the work for him. And so when he's distraught, she'll coddle. When he's angry, she'll try to calm him down, even though when he's being really insulting and she'll excuse for him rather than letting him be responsible for himself. Because here's the thing about a lot of guys, especially abusive men, they're very, very good at being victims. They're very good at like living off. That's why, that's actually why I don't like anti-racism. It's, you know, not to talk about all that. That's the number one reason why I don't like CRT is because it teaches abusive men basically to hide behind their victim status. It's, it's, it's the mindset of an abuser. It's just, it's just toward the oppressed class but it's not creating strong men. It's big. Every single man that I've ever seen that um, had a problem with abusing, uh, they were, they were themselves victims of some type of abuse, but they hide there and they want to stay there. And usually they find females in their lives that will, will um, feel empowered to take that excuse to the next level so that they can be the savior. Uh, and so they, you know, men really do learn through consequences in a good way. We learn through risk taking. We learn through the play, in the playground by picking on somebody that's much bigger than us and getting beaten up, and then saying, "Oh shoot, yeah, probably shouldn't fight that guy." You know, we learn through those things. We learn through, uh, you know, play. Uh, mm-hmm. We learn through our mistakes so much more than our successes. So you know, the coddling is really drastically affecting men because their egos are so disoriented anyway when they're really young and they're it's it's kind of obnoxious when you're a teenage boy when you're 13 and 14 you really are very grandiose and so you have to lose and you have to take tons of risks and you have to fail which the Oedipal mother is extremely uncomfortable with because her baby can't fail and so I probably you know there's a that's I don't know if that answers the question, that's, but that's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like I said, I'm sure these mm-hmm. topics are going to come up regularly, but these are just sort of the foundational, um, you know, themes that are, that the author 
um, addresses in the introduction. So no. I, I feel like just personally, that's, that's going to have a, a big impact on, on my own uh, no. parenting and how, what I think about my son needing most. Um, there's going to be an emotional intelligence there that mm. I'll benefit from a book like this that I don't think you're going to get from, um, you know, uh, from certain kinds of literature, right? Where it's just about mm. empower, <laughs> like just making sure that the, the, the boy, um, can stuff his emotions and, and not deal with, uh, the real pain. Uh, and yeah. I, I don't know how, how that's certainly the caricature of, of literature, you know, or, or of the male, the toxic male, toxic mm. masculinity. Um, I'm not sure how much that's encouraged, but it definitely, there's some truth to that, right? This mm-hmm. sort of stoic approach to life where mm-hmm. you just don't let your emotions impact, um, anything. And, and actually the, the book does address that. And it su- suggests that, that that was helpful when when we had to train up our boys to go to war and they if they were too attached to family too attached emotionally they weren't willing to to leave right and then mm. they wouldn't they wouldn't be willing to give their life so uh so there's this sense of like you know um we have we have this has become inculcated in, into the male uh species if you will and and there's this sense of We've got to stay emotionally detached throughout life if we're really going to to live up to the the role that we have, and that gets into his whole heroic idea. Like, who do we who do mm. we make into heroes? It's it's the warrior. It's the one who who sacrifices himself, who gives his life uh, for his country or for his family, mm. and um, and trying to give a, a more uh, a different perspective. <clears throat> to men is, is one of the things the author is going to do, but man, I got to say, there's part of me still that's like, yeah, they, those should be our heroes, right? I mean, mm. the ones who are willing to sacrifice that, that indicates something deep inside that's natural to us that, mm. that, it, you know, especially for those who are believers who are united to Christ, there's a, a sacrificial aspect that, that we should have that we're willing to, to give up everything for. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. I don't, you know, I, that'll, like I said, mm. come up again, but there was um, getting into this first chapter. I don't know if you wanted to say this, this is the mental health um, crisis that boys yeah. already kind of been talking about it. So I don't think sure. we need to spend a ton of time there, but just right. he, he does draw our attention to the idea that men are the primary ones committing suicide. Yeah. Boys yeah. are the ones uh, and the statistic is getting worse, right? As they get older. And there's gets, a great graph on page 16. Yeah. You want me to pull that up? Yeah. That actually would be great. That's a really good graph. Yeah. Um, so I, this is, go. This there's is one great. of them. There's the prison population. There it is. Yeah. So the connection between masculinity and suicide and look at how much it's risen. The white is going to be the girls and the boy, you know, and that's, um, I will say this more women attempt suicide though. FYI. Um, yeah, but old men, quote, succeed at suicide, mainly because of the means. So um, it's a much more violent means. I don't know if he mentions that or not, but uh, that's there. They're even I will say that more women are still attempting um, than men, sadly. Uh, wow. but more more men are dying. I didn't uh, know that. 
Yeah, women, women often attempt through pills and they could often catch it on time pretty quickly with overdosing, you know, whatnot. So, you know, if somebody comes into our emergency room and, you know, she's overdosed on pills, we could usually, yeah, we could usually, uh, well, not we, but the hospital can uh, address that pretty, pretty quickly. And, you know, she's, she could be discharged, you know, like I just, after that. But men are usually using like shotguns or jumping off bridges, it's like much more violent. Uh, so that's true. Much more men are dying. But the other the other thing is that I don't know if you want to bring up that graph. Much more men are going to prison, uh, mainly for violent crime. Um, you know, and I think it's increased just from 1970s. What by 800 percent? I forgot his actual. It's a lot. So 700 percent. 700 percent. Yeah, <laughs> which is a lot. That's you know? not good. And 90 no. male. No. That, so you know, yeah. this is another aspect, and we, you, I'm sure you picked up on it too. There's uh, he's got a, a little bit of a. a soft spot for social justice. He talks about, uh-huh. you know, kind of um, the, the black male versus, uh, but he says like, oftentimes we just think of the race and not, not the gender. We're not thinking of male, female. Um, yeah. and, and, and yet when, so he's like a, a cop is, is more likely to shoot uh, a male than a female. Part of that come, brings me back to kind of Thomas, some of the Thomas Sowell's arguments, right? There's yeah. like, well, okay, but if you're, if you're the, more violent individual, of course, you're going to be more in, uh, inclined. Yeah, yeah. His argument there is pretty poor. I mean, because usually the men that are being shot by cops, they have guns themselves and they're shooting. Right. Yes, and, you know. <laughs> and so, yes, that's why they're dying. It's not. It's not like you know, selling a joint on the you know corner and you know wearing a hookah and a cop just looks at him and just starts shooting at him. I mean, that's that's you know that's what's not kind of right. means that i mean these are very very violent criminals these are people you know like jacob blake you know he has a knife and he's coming at a cop you know right. come going in and saying it's a perfect you know um don't don't carry a knife inside of a house when a police officer is there um you know don't run after a police officer with a gun don't try to attack an officer with a gun so yeah i still don't buy that argument but anyway but more men are dying the statistics um, are know. true yeah yeah but Nevertheless, you know, but I will say the the violent crimes, you know, Jordan Peterson does make a really interesting point that our society thankfully does see, you know, uh, violent crimes as horrific and everything else. But what we haven't done is is seen um, how women can be violent as well in very, very different ways. But women are violent or psychologically much more damn. They can be very they can be more, uh, there can be more damage, but there are no there are no real crimes when those are committed. So the psychological women are more ten- they have a tendency to have more uh, display more psychological abuse or um, yeah so not that we have to get into all those things but yeah ninety three percent of men and that's in ni- that's in what two thousand thirteen so it's it's almost ten years old that those yes. stats yeah so we don't know where they are now yeah um, probably not much different but um, or or just continuing in this in the trend but it is. Um, uh, you know, we there was a huge news just a couple of days ago. I think um, what is his name? Twitch, the dancer. Did you hear about him committing suicide? Oh, um, I did. Yeah, he, young, forty-year-old, uh, very popular TikTok and and uh, you know YouTube channel. I don't know mm-hmm. if he had YouTube, but he was he would do these dances because he he and his wife met on so you th- so you think you can dance. And um, and then they also went on Dancing with the Stars. There were coaches on that, and he ended up becoming the DJ for Ellen DeGeneres' show. 
Um, oh, right. Yes. And so yeah. he's got a pretty, he had a big following and yeah. just from all appearances on everything he ever shared, very happy individual and just shot himself in a hotel room a couple of days ago. Mm. Um, after the, his, um, I think it was his ninth year wedding anniversary. So a couple mm. of days after that. So his wife is uh, Allison, um, also a dancer, but just like this, this concept, this idea is pretty much before us regularly. Yeah. Where, where people who you just would mm. never know on the outside are are mm. going through tremendous um, pain and and torment, and they're just hiding it. So well, I think yeah, it, it happened. I mean, I don't mind saying this. Like, I don't think. It, well, it happened in our seminary. I don't know if you were there when I arrived in seminary in two thousand six. There was a young man who um, took his own life, sadly. A Christian man, you know. Um, and I was the one that actually took his room. He was supposed to be my room in my room, or maybe my roommate. I can't remember. But um, he was engaged, and Ligon did his funeral. And it's real in the church, you know. And I, you know, and you love the Lord, and just but nobody saw it. Nobody saw the depression. Nobody saw the despair. Uh, the famous hymn hymn writer William Cooper, you know. Um, I know, yeah, uh, yeah. It was hundreds of years ago, but still, you know, I think men, men carry a load, you know, and, and uh, I think men, especially when, you know, later in life, we tend to isolate, we tend to hide, um, we tend to be very guarded. I want to go back on the emotional piece because, you know, men are actually, there's a myth that says women are more emotional than men. And this is the, this is the the myth that Michael Thompson addresses in his documentary, Raising Cain. Um, they did a survey where, um, they saw they had a control group and experimental group and women moms who showed no emotion to their girls, their, their daughters. And, um, and then just kind of ignored them and just walked out of the room when they did it to their little girls, the girls would start crying and then just kind of like whatever and start like self-soothing. Most of them did when they did it to their little boys, the boys were much more affected by the mirror neurons that weren't uh, the lack of mirror neurons from their mothers. They were actually a lot more emotional than the little girls were. And when they've done brain scans on little uh, brain scans on little boys, there's actually a lot more emotion going on. But the thing with boys is that they tend to be more biased toward emotions. They're actually more emotional than girls. Um, girls actually can. Um, so when they're flooding, so females are actually much, much better if they get really like your wife, if you guys get in an intense argument, she's actually pretty calm in about 10 minutes. You and I are not, we hold on to it for at least an hour before we can talk again, because it takes a, takes us a while to actually deflood fully, deflood fully. And that's a John Gottman study. So whenever men actually take longer to get to a point where they're physiologically at a good place than women, women are actually, you know, okay, let's go. Let's get back to work. <laughs> so that's one of the big misconceptions. Boys are actually not less emotional than girls. Boys are actually more. And that's what's so, I think, so confusing. But we're, we're very good at selective attention and we're very, very good at being very biased toward emotions, which explains why men are, usually bias themselves toward anger, sex, or let's party. Um, and they do that really, really, really intensely, at least unhealthy guys, you know, they either do one of those things really, really well, but um, which isn't good because there's not a balance there. But if you take females, they don't, you don't usually get a girl that's just only into anger or only sexual or only into partying. I mean, yes, there are girls that do all three of those things or apply those, but usually you get more balance with, with females. You know, they could, yeah, I mean, they could like go home, be very tender to their kids and then maybe party at the night. Boys have a tendency to just think on that one small task and mm. put all of their emotions there. 
So it's a big misconception that boys are somehow less emotional than girls are actually much more emotional. But, um, and I think that's their ability. Is it that, that, that their ability to handle the emotions is, is not as sophisticated as, as the girl naturally or. Well, they're not taught emotional, you know, how to handle. Yeah. Well, they don't often have emotional intelligence. Um, We don't necessarily attune to them, which is, I think is what the book is talk prepares us for. Um, And so they just put, they stuff it. They have a tendency to stuff it. They're often being told to stuff it. Well, at least again, that's kind of old school. Boys don't cry. Yeah. Boys don't cry. Nowadays, like I already said about the Oedipal mother, that's kind of being replaced with just like, you know, well, replacement therapy. I guess not therapy, but, um, you know, uh, parents replacing the emotion on what they should have. It's, you know, so, yeah, but it's good to recognize that. Yeah, there's a lot of complexity there. Yeah, and that that whole mental health component will will be, um, I'm sure, uh, helpful for us to, to think through. Um, as we as we continue to make through at least as we recognize some of the yeah. arguments the author's going to give but what do, what do you what? see as a pastor if i can ask you real quick i don't mind yeah we could do it back and forth with you <laughs> i'm just curious yeah. as, a, as a pastor at your church how many people go to your church again is like um what was 40, that? 000, 50, 000 people go to your church how many people are in my church yeah no. yeah no we're massive we're mega church okay. Pretty, <laughs> we've got a couple families but what are you asking just as far as how are the men and boys yeah um, are you seeing mental health crisis amongst your own anyway just be good question no i so i think it's there but i think what is challenging Mm -hmm. is getting people to admit it and that's like that's always the challenge because in in you know i think as a pastor they're coming to to hear me preach and, and teach and they're not necessarily thinking about it as a like from a counseling perspective as much anymore now at least that's not in my context maybe in other churches their pastor much more is viewed as like a a counselor that they could come to and regularly seek help i would say i i generally get this kind of topic coming up when i go out with a guide for coffee or a father mm-hmm. or a you know, husband or a, even a single guy in our church, I'll, I'll ask how they're doing. And these are the kinds of, you know, like, how, how are you doing emotionally? How, like, I want to, mm-hmm. want to kind of get deeper with, with someone in those conversations. I kind of have to pry it out of people though, because I do think there's a tendency to just, I, I, you know, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I, yeah. I'm good. I've got it all together. And yet, you know, that's just not true. You know, there's mm-hmm. challenges that they're facing just like I am. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, at least to know that there's someone that they're uh, you know, talking to, that they have support. It doesn't always have to be me that they're coming to. Right. That, that, but do you have good, good friends that you're well, that you're yeah. speaking about uh, mm-hmm. when, man, you, you lost your job you know, a month ago? How are you doing? Have you have you found mm-hmm. uh, have you found meaningful work? Are you looking a lot of times that's just it's almost debilitating when people go through, when, when men go through these uh, crises mm-hmm. in their lives, they, they just isolate from the church. They isolate yeah. from the very thing that can help support them or from their friends who, who they need to be kind of talking this through with. So mm-hmm. I would say it's, it's absolutely impacting it. I wish I had more tools to do a better job. Right. And that's why I think that like this book is going to be helpful in that regard. 
uh, to be able mm. to ask the right questions and and maybe to challenge and encourage the right approach to yeah. challenges well, with your son at home. But yeah. it, in the next right. chapter, I don't know if you want to move on. We're, we're running up on the hour, so I don't want to yeah. go too far beyond that. But maybe we can sure. just hit on physical health and then we'll pick up chapter three next time. Um, yeah. I mean, I did like the chapter four because I felt like it accumulated everything we're talking about. I don't know if you wanted to. I mean, uh, the physical health is great, but it, yeah, we could. Well, we could here, do, let me just show you. Yeah. I, I had to at least show this one thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. This this idea <laughs> oh, wow. of bigorexia. <laughs> oh my gosh, is that a real picture? <laughs> is that crazy? Is that um, real? That's real. That is real. This oh my gosh, I thought that. And you can Photoshop. look up. You can look up this this concept of bigorexia or bigorexic. Uh, it is it is wild how um, how just deformed bodies look uh, when they when they get sad. addicted to yeah. the gym, addicted to exercise. Yeah. Um, and I think I was I was doing my own uh, mm. research on this because. I've gotten into going to the gym. This is your opportunity to talk about your particular uh, appreciation for CrossFit. Okay. But <laughs> like, I actually don't do it really now. anymore. I, I'm now running and uh, jujitsu and going to the Y. So I'm just like a normal guy okay. now, Brad. Yeah, I'm not going to CrossFit every. Yeah, well, I was surprised to find out. I, I get. I I used to run. That that was the easiest thing for me was to run. Um, yeah. I was surprised though that addiction in at like exercise addiction to exercise is most common in marathoners triathletes and runners now like to the degree of twice to three to four times as much as like gym rats what Um, type of addiction like gym addiction or or like muscle like what like people who yeah where it's like a controlling i think there would i i didn't read the like what level of addiction meant, but there's, there's a, where you're just like, even when it's hurting you, you're going to go out and run. Even when it's, uh, when you're like, uh, the weather's the worst possible weather, you're going to get out there and, and and you're going to hurt yourself. Right. Um, Uh that kind of addiction, most common in kind of endurance athletes, people who, who are into, to running. And, um, I think, I think there's, you know, that's something to explore is obviously exercise is good, but, um, but we need to, we need to have the ability to, to balance it. Um, and so this, just the physical health component, he, he draws out Mm. to say men tend to put themselves in more dangerous kind of, uh, position. So we, and he calls it big, big orexia instead of, yeah, bigorexia. Bigorexia. Yeah. Bigorexia. So yeah. women often struggle with anorexia. Many men will bigorexia or obesia. Yeah. Yeah. Which is and what, just what even the death, yeah, even the death professions. He talked about how ninety two percent of death professions uh, are male dominated. So he, he, mm. which because we idolize those professions um, and are like not. Again, I don't know that that's such a bad thing. Like, I don't, I don't want my, I'd rather have my son in a, in a dangerous job than my daughter. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think, she, I think he, he is more capable of, of doing that job. Well, uh, you yeah. know, like welding, uh, bridge, bridge welders, like underwater welders, very dangerous, but like, 
it's just not a, it's not a profession that very many women enter into. Um, mm -hmm. And so like, anyways, we could, we don't have to get into that because I do, if you want to jump ahead to chapter. Um, yeah. Four. I want to respect, we, but at the same time, we don't have to rush or anything. We could do, we could pick sure. that up next week. I mean, yeah, I just really liked um, just the whole dropout left out cycle. Cause it, it does kind of a key, um, summarize really well um, on everything that we're saying. And, you know, it, especially with, where marriage is scarce and how that's affected fathers. I think it's on page 30. Maybe we could just okay. end on that. So it's like the dropout left out cycle. <laughs> and I think this is a really insightful observation because I see this a lot and this is exactly where men are, you know, it's in neighborhoods. I'll just leave, you know, read it. Um, or if you want to bring it up, I think it's, yeah, it's on page said, 30, but. Is it the graph? No, it's uh, it's four points. He has the dropout left out cycle. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was really good. It was a very good summary on everything that we've talked about, like the boys not finishing school, what, where that leaves them, the lack of attraction from females. But number one, he says, in, in, neighbor, in neighborhoods where marriage is scarce, fathers are scarce, and more than half of boys didn't finish high school. The boy drops out. That's the first point. This is just happening across the country. A lot of boys are dropping out. Number two, the less education a man, young man has, the more likely he's to be unemployed or underemployed, and he's left out of the workplace. Number three, women who desire children think of an uneducated man as undesirable. So where does that leave him? If most men are not entering the workforce, and even now it's even so much worse since the pandemic. What is it, 16 million or something like that? Men are still not working. Or something. It's, incra it's crazy. And an unemployed man is, quote, they, a lot of women will see them as in another child. And there's a lot of contempt already in the relationship, hardly marriage material. He's left out of marriage and fathering. So that furthers his isolation. And then number four, some of the women who with whom he nonetheless has sex become pregnant and raise children without him. So maybe he gets somebody pregnant, but they're realizing, you know what? I really don't want this guy living with me. And so we're back to back to step one, you know, step one. He's um, the left out dad and the dropout son. And, that, you know, I would say that's a that's a pretty accurate picture. Um, and, you know, where we are uh, now, you know, with a lot of men, a generalization. I understand there are exceptions to the rule, but that's why we're in crisis right now. That's the cycle. A lot less men are entering ministry, excuse me. Well, yeah, ministry, uh, the workforce, men are dropping out. Um, men are much more addicted to, you know, some very unhealthy habits, which makes them also very undesirable. They're also being told that they're toxic again. And we're not doing this because we're like, Oh, poor us, poor, poor me. I think we're, you know, I don't, I don't feel that way as a man. I mean, I've got a very supportive wife. I know you do as well. We're not necessarily speaking from personal experience per se. I mean, there've been times, well, some of this is personal experience, but I think we're just making a generalization on the boy crisis that's going on in our country and how, how we can address it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hmm. for whatever reason, lost access to my, oh, uh, okay. yeah. to my, to pulling up the tab, but I think I can do it on, um, or pulling up the app, but I think I can pull it up as a tab in, uh, Yes. So let me let me pull that section up. And I know you just re, you just spent time reading it, but it um, it might be good for people to, who are watching it to see it. Oh, right. Actually, yeah. uh, let me see. I thought the. Oh, no, that's not it. Share screen. 
Okay. Um, I thought this graph was helpful too. Can you see that? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. this is at the beginning of the drop dropout left out. I think that was one of the things I, I wanted to, to highlight was just like the complete inverse. Look at that. 61, 39, yes. 36, 139. Yeah. If you Since think, 1981. So right. going on 41 years, 42 years, going on 42. Percentage you know. of college graduates. Wow. It used to be 61% Men. Uh, male, 39% female it's complete opposite now yeah now and so, this is 2020 i don't know what it is in 2020 about to be 2023 it's probably risen more um, it's about the same to my knowledge same. because okay. i um I, I have two daughters now in yeah. college and in both in in one case i think it's 60 40 student body split okay. and in the other one it's a little bit higher on the male so grove mm -hmm. city college has a little more men and then samford has um, something like a 60 40 split. So mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of, I mean, and, and these are conservative so. Christian colleges. So yeah. if, if it's that way there, I would say in, in the nationwide averages, it's, it's probably even slightly worse. My but, one challenge though, I don't know if college degrees, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of um, what's the, you know, what's the guy that uh, dirty jobs, what's his name again? I forget. Yeah. Oh, I um, don't remember, but yes. Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe. You know, so he does have a, you know, to challenge this though, I, I don't, I don't know if like, I don't know if the, the litmus test is college degrees, you know, um, as much as a good trade. I would, you know, I think of a man, I would love to see him go, you know, offer a little bit more nuance on that because I do, I, there are a lot of guys I know who never went to college, but have they're making a heck of a lot more money than some doctors and lawyers I know, and they're plumbers and they're electricians, which is fantastic. You know, I don't know if you really have to get a four-year degree to quote, fulfill your manhood, but it's, it's, it goes back to the whole sense of purpose. And I think what he's really addressing is that if this is a, a general consensus, which is what that cycle, you know, brings out, I think you were just on that page, but um, you know, uh, that. You want me to pull it back up? Yeah. Yeah. So that cycle, that four points, I think that's a that's a general consensus of all you know all the other men in our country. So if you look at the yeah dropout left out cycle, for, so if you all could you know read that on your own. For some reason, it doesn't allow me to. Um, yeah. It's not allowing me to the highlight to, yeah. to make it just one one screen. But that's okay. Yeah. You can kind of see the first two points there, and yeah, and then yeah. the next two are right here. So, I mean, you know, it's, and that is true. Um, you know, women who, the uneducated man is for a lot of women is just not, not very desirable. And I would, I would probably specify the uneducated man. There is not a guy that's like a strong, like a really good plumber or electrician or whatnot. I think it's just somebody that hasn't really taken a proper, a proper risks in his lives, in his life. He's not making any money. He's not thriving in his company. He's not, you know, moving forward. He's not moving ahead. He has no drive. You know, he has very little incentive. Um, and so, yeah, that's where he's at. He's very lost. So it's, but, uh, this is the catch 22 we were talking about, mm, you know, where, where it's just hard to know how to, how to move forward and what advice to give, um, when, when people are in these situations. But I, yeah. I think that, um, I think there's a lot we'll have to, to learn from this book. I'm excited. It's already a little past an hour. So I'm kind of thinking we should move toward wrapping it up and, and we'll pick up in 
chapter chapter five and w- there's actually not a whole lot to chapters five six and yeah and then the next part um so yeah uh, maybe we could just start talking about the purpose part but um yeah actually yeah. I, i'm fine yeah. with just skipping those because if you're if you're interested in reading the book you can you can pick up on you know chapter yeah. five is on just the fact that he 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 recognizes this isn't just an American problem. It's not just a Western problem. It's a global issue. It's a global crisis. Mm. And, uh, and that 50, mm. 50% um, males are 50% more likely worldwide to fail at basic proficiency levels in reading math and science. Mm. Uh, so this is, you know, this is not just an, a, a problem in our nation. And then the next chapter has to do with uh, being as a culture. Why are we blind to the crisis? Why do we ignore it? Um, and yeah. that's when he brings up kind of the the idea that we're focused on other social justice issues and we're not necessarily thinking about the, the maybe because feminism has become just sort of the language of the land <laughs> that there's a, there's a hesitancy to acknowledge that it's, a boy crisis that there's problems that men are facing and mm-hmm. it has has little to do with race um in a lot mm-hmm. of those situations so mm-hmm. i think the the whole part two is actually just a summary it felt like of part one of the six chapters so kind of yeah. acknowledging that there's a problem with uh there's problems that are created by the solutions that have been implemented. So some mm. of the the way we've handled marriage and divorce in the past has created a crisis for boys and men in the sense of anything about a divorce, who gets the kids, the, the default is that women get the kid. And so therefore they're not going to have a father growing up, at least not mm. a very involved one. Yeah. Um, so that creates a problem. Then you have this sense yeah. of purpose that he talked about how there's a, you know, we, they they had a purpose to to go out and be the provider, but now that women are getting more equal equal hmm. um, like opportunities in the workforce, men are uh, it's obviously having an impact on them. Hmm. And uh, and so this sense of purpose, what what can they do? Can the men be the stay at home dad? I guess, or can they be the nurturer type? Um, and so. Hmm. Again, I, I, I'm not going to say I agree with everything that's recommended here, but these are the the problems that are created that that he he's going to address in the mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. And then that whole heroic versus health intelligence um, and the impact of ADHD. So those are the problems that he addresses in part two. It's a very short chapter there. Yeah, <clears throat> and we'll pick up in in part three uh, next time. Any nice. any closing thoughts that you have before? Um, yeah, I was thinking about like, you know, how would you define man? I mean, I have my own definition of it. I would, you know, I, I mainly it was something that I came up with when I was talking to Carmen. I would love to hear maybe just tell our, you know, listeners. I mean, that's a that's a hard, you know, if somebody says, you know, what is a man? Um, it's, I know I a, just it it's an adult male. <laughs> it's an adult. <laughs> the next uh, one, chromosome. Okay. I mean, I do think a man needs to to be able to I, I like the whole provide protect I do um, too. yeah um, mm. as a natural instinct that men that men have now it can be oh. it can certainly have an impact in their like the culture can um, can have an impact on how we how we perceive that but I do think it's natural 
mean, you watch your boy from mm-hmm. a young age and, uh, and there is a sense of like, I'm going to, um, like I'm, they take a, a little bit of a leadership role in situations. I, I don't know that the, there's various personalities, but I just think as, mm-hmm. as you're maturing, you'll have a better ability to, um, you know, to, to lead with, uh, with strength and, and also not to just overpower uh, people, not to lord it over those that you, you love, but there is a, there is a natural desire to provide and protect for your loved ones. And I think there's a expansion of that to, Mm. you know, we're not going to get into this here, but this whole concept of nationalism, uh, I do think there's a connection there um, to the way you think of your, your countrymen, your, your, you know, the people that you live in a nation with, um, and certainly with your, your brothers and sisters in Christ within your church, mm. uh, there is a natural affection and a desire to provide and protect for those that you love. And, um, hopefully we, we learn there's a, there's kind of spheres of, of, of your ability to influence and have an impact and lead others. Obviously that's going to start in the home and it goes out into your community to whatever uh, level of influence you have, you know, depending on your role in life. But Hmm. in terms of what's the difference between a man and a woman, I, you know, I, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of differences. I will say, I just read the book of Job for, you know, and I love reading that book, but God says to Job, gird yourself up like a man. And there's a, yeah, God says to Job, you know, be a man, gird yourself yeah. up, man. Good point. Yeah. You know, it's just like, and what, and what does that mean? How can we dissect that? You know, and yeah, and I, I, um, what did you end up telling Carmen? Yeah, they almost sounded like it was a setup so I could talk about myself. That's what I realized <laughs> it was, which is, which wasn't the case that time. I, I have been guilty of that before. Well, you, um, you didn't prepare me for that question. So right, I, I may have to come back next time and talk about what is a man. Yeah. Let's make Brad fail so I could talk about this. No, I, I, um, I was watching a documentary right before I met with Carmen and I, there was a lion and fe- male lions will kind of hit their cubs, not in an aggressive way, whenever they, well, sometimes, I mean, from a lion way, I guess, from a human perspective, well, it certainly looks aggressive. But when he finds food, you know, he eats it, he eats all of it. The females and the babies need to find their own food. He eats all the food and he's lazy. He's just a lazy lion. It looks lazy. It, it looks like that from the outside. He sleeps all day and everything else. And, you know, he's not very polite. And what they noticed is that the reason why he eats so much food and sleeps so much is because he's protecting his tribe. Uh, he's saving his enemy because when another male lion comes in, he's wanting to kill that male lion so that he can kill all of his children and have sex with all of his wives. Now, obviously, we're not lions, but what we are called to do as men in our own personal way because i one of the things i don't like in some conservative circles they kind of do this like you have to be you know this you have to be a man's man you have to be aggressive like you know there are people that are just very i know i know them in my lives who are wonderful godly men who are just not that way they're very very passive they're very conflict avoided they're not loud they're not aggressive at all they are very timid 
But what we're all called to do as men, regardless, regardless of your personality trait, is to be like that male lion in the sense of preserving your energy so that you could be aware of danger coming in and wanting to rob you, your family and your church. And that's the that is our job. You know, we should be the ones that are saying, wait, no, let's. And I think the main reason for that is because men, thankfully. So we don't have a maternalistic instinct, which is a good thing and a bad thing, which I think is the reason why we're not always emotionally intelligent. Hmm. That's a bad thing. But I think it's a good thing because the problem with empathy is that empathy can rob you of true judgment. And I've seen it because empathy is not a virtuous or unvirtuous emotion. It could actually cloud you into doing really destructive things. And so what men need to do is yes, have empathy, but not let it flood them because they need to be able to see danger really, really well. And every man, in my opinion, has to develop that skill to be discerning enough, regardless of their personality trait to call that out, especially in their churches. That's what we're really called to do as men. We have to call this out. We can't be cowards. You know, we, we, you know, and, um, and yet, you know, we do it in a way that is godly, that's patient, that's appropriate, but we're like that male lion, you know, it's in the sense that we're waiting and waiting because somebody, something may come in and we have to be willing in our own way to protect and to call that out and, and, and to see the danger when it arises. And um, if men don't have that as a goal, they just get lost, you know, and I see it. And um, yeah, it's sad because you could tell they're wanting that. Um, in some form, you know, just something, yeah. you know, and because they don't have it, I think that explains a lot of why they get lost in the porn, explains why they're becoming so passive, explains why they're, um, you know, buying into Marxist ideology that's just rooted in empathy, but it's highly destructive. And, you know, it's just we we need men again. Do you, you know? think it's and, just a uh, matter of an um do you think it's just a matter of encouraging that in one another? Uh, like you're saying, calling it out when you see someone being passive where they need to be more, uh, you know, mm. carry themselves with some, with some uh, integrity and some strength. Or is it a matter of just saying, uh, like, are there, are there approaches that you can do as a community that would encourage it or foster it other than the male uh, camaraderie? Well, I think it all comes down to risk taking. You know, we have to challenge our men to take more risks because that's how they learn, you know, and if they don't, they get they have less autonomy and they struggle more with shame and doubt. You know, it's Eric Erickson's whole point. Like first you start out with trust versus mistrust and then autonomy versus shame and doubt and then a sense of, you know, taking a risk versus guilt. And if we don't, I think men especially, we need to build a sense of good autonomy you know, not ungodly, you get what I'm saying, just like being able to go out there. And I even saw that in seminary, men are just very, very passive at times. They're, they would get very, very sensitive. They get like a B, you know who I'm talking about. And just like, they don't want to take a certain class by Dr. Ireland because they may get a, you know, B plus and they're trying to over, anyway, sorry Dr. guys. Ireland. Yes. Velvet hammer, man. No, I think we have to cultivate risk-taking in a really good way. Like, that's how we overcome our fears. Men are, you know, we are afraid. We are more emotional. And so we have to, and that's just so interesting because the most violent men are not in touch with their chaotic self. I, you know, and Jordan Peterson talks about that. It's like, you better know who you are. You have to know your 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 ability to be really harmful 
and be in touch with that, that you can do a lot of harm if you're not careful, especially as a man. And I think men in general need to really be aware of that so that they can have the capability to protect, you know, and they have to go deeper. Um, Just just to, to kind of throw in a little bit too, to, to, tweak the i maybe maybe we're thinking about it um right along the same lines but yeah. that idea of protect hmm. would also include that spiritual protection right yeah. so the the ability to 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 lead your home to lead um your son to lead your daughter to lead your spouse your your wife hmm. uh they, these are things that men need to be um challenged and encouraged to per, participate in like that I, I don't see that happening in the broader evangelical world. There, there tends to be almost even a downplaying of the value of kind of leading in the home because it just doesn't sound very politically correct anymore. But it's like, man, if you have a father who is, who is practicing regular family worship, who's catechizing his kids, who's um, reading the Bible with his and praying with his wife, uh, you are going to absolutely be, protecting their spiritual nourishment and their development and, and facilitating for them an ability to um, you know, have a well-rounded perspective. I mean, the Bible is obviously yeah. we've got to bring it back to that as, mm-hmm. as believers. Like so yeah. it's not just a generic protective um, quality. Like we need no. to do this spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Um, and wherever we're lacking in that, it does need to be, addressed mm. and called out in love but in truth and to be honest and, and have the integrity to say look man um like man up <laughs> in the best sense of that that word mm. man up and and take the responsibility that god has given you as a husband as a father mm. um or even as a boy right as a as a boy who's training to be a husband and a father mm-hmm. so I just wanted to throw that in. Um, yeah, and I, th- I love that too because that we're so much like everything you just said. It always sounds like it's such a negative reaction. It's like, why are you doing that? You're putting too much pressure. And what we're finding out about the boy crisis is, no, they're killing themselves more, mm-hmm. and they're going to prison more because we've just told them don't don't do any of that. So we have the evidence in the pudding now. We just the past forty years we told them not to actually pursue goals. Everything you just said is toxic from the feminist world. And we just tried their experiment and it's terrible. The conclusions are terrible. So we need something else and we need something more drastic. And I think I love what you just said, because it's like, we're, we're doing this not so that we can create toxic masculinity, but so that we can offer them hope because they need something. They need that sense of purpose. I, I, yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I know we're gone. Oh, hey, over. Let me, I'm going to, I'm going to play this, our outro music. Uh, Peter, it was really good yeah. to uh, okay. reconnect with you. Yes. Good yeah, it's so funny. I'm having my little IPA. It's almost four o'clock here, and you're just—I think you're still. You just, yeah. Good. Good yeah. morning. Good morning. It's twelve twelve twenty-six for me. Okay. So I I can't join you on that, but maybe one of these times we'll we'll do a later night session, and uh, you'll have to. We'll have to be okay Let's with... smoke cigars one of these days. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Thanks, All right, everyone. Man.